Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, <clears throat> one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for an opportunity to look into your word, and we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. We pray that our hearts will be ready to receive that which you have for us, and I pray that you would use me as an instrument in your hand, Lord, that only Christ may be seen. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, this place where we can meet, and for the gift of your Holy Spirit, um, who reveals your truth to us. We thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a world for a moment. I'm going to get you to put your imagination hats on, right? Imagine a world where the environment had no pollution, where it was pristine, where the water was always perfectly clear and not full of plastics and whatever else is good. Where animals were plentiful and not in danger of extinction. Imagine plant life that was truly abundant, where crops and fruits were always available and fresh, where there was no more need of fertilizer, insecticides, or weed killer. Imagine animals no longer needed to hunt one another for food, where there was no more lions, you know, uh, killing um, uh, antelope and those sorts of things, where they all had an amazing variety of food to eat with fruits and plants and herbs available to them, where they had no more fear of man, where man had no more fear of them, where a child could play with a tiger or with a snake. And there was no, and the parents would have absolutely no fear of that child ever being hurt. Imagine that sort of place. Imagine a world where disease was eradicated, where people lived hundreds of years without getting old and worn out. For those of you with, with knees replacements and, and and having had operations and things, and you know when it gets cold sometimes, when you have when you have an, when you've had an operation, it ten, you tend to feel it. Um, but imagine a place where there was. No arthritis, where there was no heart disease, no cancer, no diseases that actually inflicted a person or were inflicted upon a person. Um, imagine a world where there was no injustice, where all the police were honest, where all the lawyers were honest, where every used car salesman was honest as well. Imagine a world where there's no injustice where every crime was solved. Now, when I'm saying there's no crimes, but imagine a place where every uh, injustice was brought to justice, where no, where no people got left behind in that, where the judicial system worked, where there was no more cynicism about leaders or politicians, where every politician was perfectly truthful and everyone in society spoke the truth and behaved honestly and righteously. Imagine a world that didn't take where businesses didn't take advantage of other people, 
where people were taking advantage of each other, or taking advantage of each other, where respect and love were the common mutual language of everyone. Imagine a, a world where there was no war, where you didn't need, where countries didn't need to spend billions and billions and trillions of dollars building arms and uh, having a race one with another to build the best armaments. Imagine where there was no more need of armies. What do all those people do, I wonder? Imagine a ruler who was perfectly benevolent, loving, wise, and kind, who had the interests of his people at heart. He had the wisdom to look after their needs, where people didn't have to resort to feeding addictions to alcohol or drugs to try and numb the pain that they were going through or because they didn't have any purpose or meaning in life. Imagine when the meaning of your life was staring you in the face. Well, this is a type of world the Bible describes. Um, and it's described in a number of places in the Bible. And it finds realisation and fulfilment when Jesus returns to the earth. Now, last week, we looked, the last two weeks, we've looked at the return of Jesus, the promise of God that Jesus would return to the earth. Well, what follows from that promise is that the return of Jesus, after he has uh, fought that battle against the devil and his armies, um, rules the world in perfect righteousness. This is the promise that we will examine today. And after the promise of his return, the scriptures tell us or foretell and God promises that he will usher in a rule of righteousness that will last 1,000 years. And the end of that 1,000 years, the culmination of that, God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So there's not only 1,000 years of righteous rule on this world, but there will be the culmination of a new heaven and a new earth completely. We call this thousand years the millennial kingdom or the millennial rule of Christ. And it's what Daniel described in this passage over here as a kingdom an ever, which is an everlasting or dominion, which is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Now, you might, you might have a thousand years, but that never finishes anyway. The rule of Christ will never finish. That thousand years is like that stepping stone to that final culmination. But that kingdom, the Bible says, shall never pass away. There will be one king. And if you notice Daniel 7, 13 and 14, what's interesting here is that this person who he calls the son of man who comes with clouds of heaven. Now, mind you, Daniel was written, uh, how long before roughly um, uh, when Christ came to the earth? Probably a thousand years at least, right? Daniel was written at least a thousand years before Christ came to the earth. And he is written this, the Son of Man would come in the clouds of heaven. He comes to the Ancient of Days, to God, they brought him near before him. And what's given to him is dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people in every nation, every language should serve him. And it says that his dominion is everlasting dominion, which means he never dies. He's not a normal king that lives for 50 years or even 80 years and then passes away that he has to pass it on to someone else. Now, this passage is actually saying that this person, this son of man, has a dominion which is his forever. And he never dies. And that kingdom that he rules over shall never be destroyed. Um, 
Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Correct? You guys are familiar with that, right? So the Bible simply says that when you look at creation, that it should lead you to consider that there is a wise, powerful, knowledgeable God who made all these things come to pass, who brought these things into existence. And when you look at the universe, would you agree with me that it looks like it's got order? It has order, right? Well, if you study science at all, you'll know that there are laws in the universe that everything has to adhere to. There are laws of gravity, there are laws of chemistry, there are laws of biology, there's all types of laws, and those things have been put in place well before we got, we arrived here, okay? And they exist, and they continue, and they are laws that for some reason work perfectly every time. And there are, the reason that there are laws in the universe that govern everything that goes on, you know why? Because there is a law giver. The Bible says that just to look at the way the universe works, to consider the way it works and how it's clockwork um, manner in which it operates should lead us to conclude that there is a very wise clockmaker or watchmaker. Okay? The earth is an unbelievably special place. I'm not sure if you've ever considered it, but they, they have a rover at the moment on Mars. Okay? And they've been trying to fly a... I'm not sure if you've been watching the news... But for the first time, they've actually flown a, uh, what are they called, like a, a, a drone. They're flying a drone on Mars, which is like freaky right, when you think about it. Anyway, but you know why they're on Mars? Really? Because they're looking for life on Mars. And they've sent how many, how many things have they sent there now? There've been, there've been things there, rovers and things scouring all over Mars, digging and, and analyzing and looking for stuff. You know how much, how much life they found on Mars? Zero. Nothing. Do you know what life they're gonna find on Mars? Zero. I can tell you already from now. That's okay, they've got plenty of money to throw around. But the Earth is an unbelievably special place. Unlike anything else, or any other place in the entire universe. The universe is so huge. When you consider the Earth and this tiny little thing that has so much life on it, it's unbelievable that there should be life teeming from North Pole to the South Pole, in deserts and everywhere. You can go to the, 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 most, the, the most harshest environment on this planet and you'll find life there. You'll find life inside volcanoes. You'll find life at the bottom of the ocean. You'll find life in the middle of a desert. Doesn't matter where it is, in the tops of mountains, in, in, the, in the freezing snow, there's life everywhere here, which is unbelievable. And, and because life is so prevalent here, it's so, it's so everywhere, right? Um, they assume that if it started here and it's, if there are so many forms of life over here, surely it must have started somewhere else as well. But no, not even a microbe. Not even, a, not even a cell they, they're finding at the moment. And they won't find it. And you know why? Because God created life here. Okay? This planet is so special compared to every other planet in the universe. See, we may be small compared to the rest of the universe, but you know what? It's all happening here. And that's what makes this planet, among the billions of other planets, valuable. And it's the only place where beings who are created in the image of the lawmaker 
in his image, dwelt. Mars is dead, has always been dead, and so has every other planet. But the world we live in contains also bad things. I don't know if you've noticed. Apart from all the wonderful things, all the life and everything else that's beautiful, right? And you look at the sun and you get a nice warmth from the sun and there's rain that, that you know, that waters the ground and brings life. And there's all these wonderful things that, that we see around us, even love between people and, you know, and all the animals and all the variety that we have. There's, there's something wrong here because in this beautiful world that we, uh, that we live in, we also see death. Diseases, suffering, sin, evil, corruption, injustice, and decay. Now, if you believe in evolution, you'll believe that it's always been around. Okay? If you believe, if you're a scientist, you'll say that it's always like that. It's always been, you know, dog eat dog, and, you know, the fittest survives, and death is always part of the whole system. Um, no. Because the Bible says that God created things perfectly from the beginning. Actually, what's interesting they find uh, about uh, our DNA, and they say we've got a lot of junk DNA, which is not junk at all. But what's interesting, with every passing generation, okay, with every new child that comes into the world that inherits the genes from its mother and father, you know what is passed down to that child? The mutations from their parents. And every new generation has new mutations, more mutations. And it's getting worse and worse. So we are less perfect in our genes than our grandparents were. Than they, and they, they were less than their grandparents were. And if you go back 500 years, they were more perfect in their genes. You know why? Because the mutations are mounting. And with mounting mutations, it means weaker species. Okay, does that make sense? That is an undeniable scientific fact. Well, you know what I would say to them? I would say, well, you know, put your thinking hat on there just for a moment. Because if the mutations are mounting and they're getting worse all the time, if you go back in time, it tells you that they're getting the, the, the genes, the DNA we have is more perfect as you go back. Well, the Bible says exactly that very thing. It says that not, we are not improving, as science tells us, as evolution tells us, that we are somehow getting smarter and smarter and smarter, that we are somehow evolving into something more uh, intelligent and more powerful. Now, science actually tells, uh, the, 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 the science shows that we're going backwards. We are getting dumber, weaker, we have more diseases, more, more problems, and more things that can go wrong with us. We are weaker than, than our... Most of you know, we're weaker than our grandparents. Remember my dad saying as we were growing up, he goes, oh, you know, and I was young and I was feeling the cold and I, and I didn't want to go to school on a, on a winter morning. My dad said, ah, oh, you know, we had to go to school, we had to walk, you know, five kilometres in the snow without any shoes. And so that was, might have been a slight exaggeration. <laughs> But apparently, the, the previous, our previous uh, our ancestors were actually well, a bit tougher than we were. What also doesn't make sense, actually, from an evolutionary point of view, is that they say that we are getting better and better all the time, right? Then why is man so weak? You can put a gorilla in the middle of the jungle. It can live in the jungle. It lives. It's hardy. It's got a fur coat on already, so it doesn't get cold. 
It's tough as nails. It can eat rocks and still live. You put me in the middle of the jungle. If I'm not eaten by the gorilla, I, I won't survive. If we are the pinnacle of evolution, why do we have no hair? Well, some of us have got a fair bit of hair. But why do we have no fur that keeps us warm? Why are we, if I, if I, if I was to arm wrestle a chimpanzee, you know who would win? The chimp would kill me. Even if I tried with both hands, the chimp would actually kill me. Why, why are we so much weaker if we're meant to be the culmination of evolution? The pinnacle. Why are we so weak? Well, there's not really an answer to that, is there? The problem we have in our world is we see disease, death, suffering, corruption and decay. And even though this world is so beautiful and reveals the glory and the, the majesty of God, there's something obviously wrong. When, the, when God created the world, the Bible says he created it perfectly. And, every, and when you look back at his creation, the Bible says, what did he call it? It is good. It is good. God said that it was good. God didn't say, oh, look at that, you know. I just created Adam. He's just uh, broken a leg. Good. So what's wrong? Well, what we see in our world and in, indeed in the entire universe is a, a decay. Okay? There, is, there are two laws in physics um, that tell us that everything is decaying. Everything is going downhill. Nothing's going uphill. Everything's going... If you buy a pristine new... I don't know, what, what's a good car these days? Oh, a Ferrari. Yes, okay, I'm Italian. A Ferrari, if you buy it, and it comes out of that showroom pristine condition, it's out in the, uh, in the street, would it, would it look the same after 50 years? Um, no. It'll decay. Everything's decaying. You leave something long enough, it decays. The UV light will break down the, uh, the paint and, and, the, and the juco and everything else in it, everything begins to crumble. Leave, it, leave the Ferrari there for 100 years or 200 years, you'll probably just get a rusted empty shell, okay? That's because everything breaks down. And you need, you need to continually pump more and more energy into something to keep it going. The world we live in is decaying. We see it everywhere. And that's the result of what the Bible calls the fall. We live in a fallen world. And so God said he created the world beautifully and, and good, but the, what we see around us is a result of the fall and the combination of death that we brought into the world, okay, we brought that into the world, and sin that we brought into the world, and our fallen nature, which always inclines us towards sin, um, is not doing a very good job of looking after this place. Um, and the Bible says that God placed a curse on the world as well because of our sin. Along with the fall of man, there was also the fall of the angels. There was a third of them that, that corrupt, got corrupted, <coughs> fell for a lie, and the same lie that they, they fell for, uh, we fell for, that we could be God. We fell universally along, and so did the angels. The result in the Bible about man, the story of man's fall and, and God's plan to restore him is what we're talking about when we speak about this new creation that God's making. We ruined it. God gave us a house. I, I love this analogy. You know, if, if, if I was uh, 
if I was a, someone who didn't have anything, God bought us a perfect house, right? He gave us the keys to it, and he said, just look after it. How would you like that? If someone bought you a house worth it, you don't have to pay anything, it's yours. Well, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, you know what we did? We burnt the house down. We destroyed the house. We didn't look after the house. We didn't know how to look after the house. We refused to look after the house. And what the world we live in is a result of that. And that's why the Bible says we are in this wrestling match. What, even though we've come to Christ, there seems to be resistance always against us because the world is fallen. It's full of evil. It's full of sin. It's full of darkness. And the Bible says not only do we have this, this problem of sin, corruption and death that we brought into the world because we ruined the house. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and thrown in high places. We have an invisible enemy on the background who would love to see us dead, who wants us enslaved because they want to be our gods. They want to be our gods. You see, they couldn't, they couldn't get God's throne. The next, best thing, the next best thing was us. And so we have a fight on two fronts. We have our own fallen nature and the result of our fall and our sin, but we also have an invisible world that is against us. And it's because of this fallen world that it makes it necessary for fight. How many, how many days a week do you need to fight a good fight when you're a Christian? Every day. Every day is a fight. When, when, when people come to the Lord and, uh, and you hear these people, you know, um, uh, in, in some churches, you know, if you come to Jesus, he'll solve all of your problems. He'll have, every, he'll have everything on a silver platter. He'll give you wealth, health and prosperity. He'll sort everything out for you. Mm, they might have left something out of that. That when you become a Christian, you actually enter into a fight. And the enemy is quite strong. And if you don't rely on the one that you've entrusted your eternal soul to, you are in, in, in jeopardy. This whole thing. He can't kill you, but he can injure you. He can cause you grief if you choose not to follow in the footsteps of your saviour and leader. We have to fight every day. Lights in this world. No one's called to be lights if there was full of light everywhere. We are called to be lights because there is darkness everywhere. But just as the fall of this world and all the consequences of that fall and the result of our fall, so too, the Bible says, there will be a restoration of the, this world and the entire universe. And it will be linked, guess what, to you and me again. See, we caused the world to fall. And the Bible says that when we are glorified, the Bible says that all of a sudden, all of creation will be restored. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 19 with me for a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. I think it's getting a bit warm in here. Can we, can we actually turn maybe the heater off? It's, 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 it's sweating. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Now listen to these words very carefully. For the earnest expectation, Romans 8, 19, the earnest expectation of the creature, well, you can look at it as creation, 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? We are. The manifestation. Hang on, but we're here, aren't we? No, it's talking about the manifestation of when we will be revealed for who we actually are. Now. Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subject the same in hope. So God subject the world to death and vanity because there's got to be a hope that's built. 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Even all of creation will be freed when we are glorified in Christ. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we also groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So we know, we experience the same pain, the same, the same uh, death and decay that the world experiences. Okay? I'm not sure if you understand that. When you got saved, God didn't say, I'm going to, you're not going to experience suffering, pain, sickness, or death. Okay? We experience the same thing they experience. So the Bible says that we're all waiting for this. And the Bible says that will occur when we are glorified in Christ. And when the world will see us the way we actually are. We don't even see ourselves the way we are at the moment. The Bible, when all of creation is waiting for our manifestation. It's a funny thing, isn't it? The Bible says that one day we will be like Christ when we see him face to face. We'll be glorified one day. And that's what all of creation is waiting for. When our, when our uh, glorification takes place, the Bible says that the rest of creation will be released from the bondage that it's in. And that happens in two main stages. One is that thousand year reign of Christ, when the curse is partnates with the new heaven and the new earth, when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to the earth, and heaven and earth are one. God's future restoration of all creation is the ultimate goal of our Christian hope. That's the ultimate goal. Yes, we've been saved, so praise God for that. Okay, and so now we live in still in a, a sin-filled uh, world full of dust we can, so they could be saved as well like we are. Is that one day all of creation will be. And God promises that. And that's the promise that we look forward to. We're waiting for that return of Christ to come and take us home, but we are looking forward to the full restoration of this world, this universe, heaven itself, which will happen in the future. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. As the Lord Jesus himself makes this promise to his disciples who had left everything to follow him. And they said to him, Lord, you know, Lord, we've left everything for him. with him. He's speaking directly to his disciples here. The regeneration is what we call the millennial reign. Satan will be bound up where? In hell. For a thousand years. Satan is not in hell at the moment. Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that he is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says he is the God of this world. The, God is, the Bible says that he is still keeping most of the world captive. And we know that because the majority of the world, the vast majority, don't believe. 
If he was bound already, the gospel would go out freely. But there is a lot of resistance. He is still, he is still the God of this world. Let's see how Peter describes the same thing. Turn to Acts chapter 3 with me. Acts chapter 3. So Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And listen, watch, listen carefully. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Jesus already ascended into heaven. Whom the heaven must receive. Where is Jesus now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. With whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Jesus is in heaven at the moment, and he's there until the restitution or the restoration of all things. When he comes, he fights that final battle, and the Bible says he takes the throne on this earth. <laughs> the promise is essential. It's been promised from the beginning. Through all the prophets have said the same thing that God will restore this world to himself. And Jesus will remain in heaven until he returns in power and great glory. And he shall, he shall subdue the fallen angels who have chosen to follow Satan, and he will subdue the armies of this world who will seek to resist him at his return. The scriptures teach us that he shall sit on the throne of David. The throne of David is an earthly throne. The throne of David, some people get this thing all mixed up. David never had a throne in heaven. Okay? So when you see the throne of David, it is not a heavenly throne. It is an earthly throne. David ruled from where? Jerusalem. Okay? So when someone, when the Bible speaks of Jesus coming and sitting on the throne of David and saying he's going to sit physically in Jerusalem on that throne and he will rule as the rightful king of the earth. And at that point, heaven and earth will become one. And this was the reason Jesus came to the earth to free us from our sin, to make a people for himself from all nations of the earth and to take back dominion of this world that was lost to Satan in the Garden of Eden. Jesus will rule for 1,000 years, sitting on the throne of King David. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Now we'll listen to an angel tell us a similar thing. The angel Gabriel who came to Mary to explain to her that she's about to have a child who will be the Son of God. And so Luke chapter 1 verse 30 says, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's very similar words to Daniel. Jesus is the culmination of that promise that God will rule this earth directly through Jesus Christ and the earth will be one day restored. Now I want to share with you today, if you are a believer here this morning, if you put your faith in Christ, that your citizenship is no longer part of this fallen world. Yeah, you might be a citizen of Australia on your passport or whatever it is, but you are now a citizen of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, we're waiting for our king to claim this earth again. That's what we're waiting for. If you belong to heaven's realm already, then you will not be going through what the Bible speaks of the hour of temptation that will come upon the whole world. We will be spared the judgment of God that will be poured upon the earth during the tribulation. And this is because when we became citizens of heaven, God doesn't see us as earthly citizens anymore. And how, how do I know that? Well, the Bible says that we are ambassadors. Okay? That term is a really, really important term to understand. When you are an ambassador, you are in a foreign country representing another country. Okay, So if we have the ambassador from China here in Australia, he is not an Australian citizen. He is a citizen of China and he represents China to Australia. And whether it's the US or whatever, there are embassies and, and there are places where they stay. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of God to this earth, which means we belong to heaven now. And any government worth its salt, before war takes place, what do they do with their ambassadors? They bring them home. If you're ever wondering whether God will bring us home before destruction starts taking place in this, in this world, just think about what kings do before war breaks out. They bring them home. And so the rapture will occur before the tribulation because God will bring home his ambassadors and then the war will start. And that's us. What we also know for sure is that Israel, once again, will be accepted by the Lord. They will repent of their sin. They will turn to Christ in these latter days and they will never go astray again. See, the moment there, the Bible says there is a veil in front of their eyes. They can't see the truth for what it is. They've been blinded by their leaders who were around when Jesus was, was, was on this earth. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the gatekeepers, the ones who were supposed to have recognized him for who he was. Instead, they didn't because they wanted to. They saw him as a threat. And so they said, no, no, we don't want him. Get rid of him because he's threatening our, our, our little uh, party over here. And they've kept that same thing going for the last 2,000 years, teaching their people, rabbis and, and all their scribes and teachers, and saying that Jesus was not really the Messiah. The Bible says in the latter days, that's going to all change. Turn to Hosea with me. Hosea, chapter 3. Thank you. 
Hosea chapter 3, verse 4. Pages rustling left and right, up and down. Isaiah's not one of those ones you read too often. Small book. Hosea, chapter 3. Listen carefully to what Hosea prophesies about his own people, Israel. Verse 4. Hosea, chapter 3, verse 4 says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince. And without a sacrifice, and without an image, without an ephod, and without teraphim. Verse 5. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So even though they are blinded at the moment, there is no sacrifice, there is no nothing going on, in the latter days they will return to God. Turn to Ezekiel with me. Ezekiel. Chapter 37. This is a more detailed explanation of that, of what shall occur. Ezekiel chapter 37. Speaking once again of Israel. Now he's calls them, God will call them, or he refers to his people as Jacob. Okay? Jacob, my servant. When you see Jacob, the term Jacob. That's Israel, okay? That's the people of Israel he's referring to because he is their father, okay? So Ezekiel 37, 25 says, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given, verse 25, sorry, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. God will one day dwell in the midst, in the middle of his people. That's what's going to happen during the millennium. You see, Jesus will be in Jerusalem, ruling in the midst of his people. And Israel will have repented. They will have turned to him. There, would have, there will be a revival among them. And their eyes will be opened. So during this thousand years, Jesus will rule from Jerusalem, which will be the capital of what? The world. The capital of, we don't have a capital of the world, do we? You know, they're trying to create, they're trying to, to get to a one world government. They're trying really hard. Okay. Too many problems though, you know, one wants to do it one way, the other one wants to do it other way. People like their independence. So they're trying to get, they're trying to squeeze this thing through a number of different ways to get to a one-world government, okay? Um, but one day, the Bible says, there will be a one-world government, and there will be one king, and there will be one capital of the entire world, and that will be in Jerusalem. Jesus will be the ruler of the entire world. Amen. Will there be in Australia? 
think so. I think they'll be in Australia. They'll be in New Zealand. I'm not sure if Tasmania is still going to be part of Australia, but it's still, <laughs> still going to be there. So Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem. Israel will be restored, blessed, and, and, and Jerusalem will be greatly expanded and will be the, literally the capital of the world. Um, turn to Luke chapter 21 with me. Luke 21. And I'm giving you a lot of scriptures here, but I want, I want to bring all these together so you're seeing this picture from a number of different uh, perspectives. Luke 21-24. Because it tells us there that Israel, which has for the last mm, 2,000 years, been subject to a great amount of persecution. They've, they've endured a lot of uh, tribulation over the last 2,000 years, whether it was during the Middle Ages, whether it was under the, uh, under the, the, the Christendom, who attacked them as well, whether it was from, uh, from the, um, Islam, whether it was from um, uh, the Nazis in Germany. They've always been chased, killed, and, and they've tried to destroy them in a number of different ways. Over the, over the course of the last 2,000 years. They've, they've never had a home until 1948. Now, which country do you know, which people do you know for 2,000 years didn't even have their own country and all of a sudden have a country that ma managed to maintain not only their religion, their faith, managed to maintain their language, their culture, their traditions. There is, no other, there is no other people in the world that has been um, dispersed from their country, spread all over the world, hounded and, 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 and hunted down, that have now, all of a sudden, after 2,000 years, created a, uh, a nation, and they're all going back to their nation. There's no other thing. It's, it's, it's just it's incredible when you think about it, and it's only God's doing. In fact, if we look at this whole thing, the reason that we are thinking that the time is pretty short, <coughs> okay, between uh, uh, coming to the Lord's return and the, the coming of the tribulation is because of the existence of Israel. Because there has to be, that Israel has to return to their home and then they have to want to build a temple. And it's already happening. It's happened in 1948 and they want to try and rebuild the temple. And they have to be a stumbling block to most of the world. And they are a stumbling block to most of the world. There's always problems in the Middle East, and it's about to flare up again, as, as usual. It goes up and down, okay? But the Bible says here in Luke 21, 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. Now, they've fallen by the edge of the sword. That's a pretty good description of what's happened to them. And shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We are living in the time of the Gentiles. The Gentiles have turned to God, but there will be a time when the time of the Gentiles will complete. And then Israel will come to the fore. In the millennial Jerusalem, in the millennium, Jerusalem will be exalted as a city and even raised higher above the ground, believe it or not. There's a, it actually tells in Isaiah, you don't have to turn with me, but Isaiah 2.2 2 
says, It shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. It says in another place as well that somehow Jerusalem will be lifted up, literally lifted up above the ground. Now God, God's going to, God can make all types of things happen. But it says that they will be raised up above the other ones and the world will flock to it. Now, I want to turn to a description of a millennium provided to us by the prophet Isaiah. Now, remember, the millennium is the first phase of God's restoration. So turn to Isaiah 65 with me. Isaiah 65, verse 17. So we've reached to the, this millennium. I want to describe the millennium properly so you understand it. And then we're going to hit the actual um, uh, the new heaven and new earth. Okay, so you understand that there's a there's a sequence that happens here. It's the return of Christ, His second coming. There's a battle of Armageddon after the tribulation period. There's a thousand years of rule that that, that Christ reigns, and then the new the new um, uh, creation or the new uh, heavens and earth. Now look at this, Isaiah 65 verse 7. God's promising, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind even. Verse 18, but be glad, be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old. But the sinner being in a hundred years old shall be accursed, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labour in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf, now what is this? The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. So this is, we summarise that passage for you. During this time, Jerusalem will be a place of rejoicing. It will be a place of no more crying or weeping. Now notice what it says about the infants, which is an interesting point. It says there will be no more infant mortality. Children will not die in this kingdom. It says a child of a hundred years. Someone who is 100 years old will still be considered a child. You like that? They'll still be considered an infant a hundred years. How do you feel now? <laughs> but it says that there shall be still be sinners in the earth. Did you notice that? It said, but he, but the sinner who was a hundred years old is going to be accursed. Um, so sin hasn't been eradicated yet. Notice, notice something else interesting here. It says people are still having children. Notice how it says their offspring. Look at verse 23. 
It says, and they shall not labor in vain. So they're going to be working. It's not going to be uh, planting fields or whatever, not bringing forth the trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. People are still having families. They're still having children. Now, hang on a sec. Are these people us? No. These people are not us. And the reason they are not us is that these, these are the people that have gone through the tribulation and who's left after the tribulation, their descendants. Okay? It's those that have, that have come through the tribulation period and their descendants that repopulate the actual earth. Why isn't it us? Well, it's not us because after we're raptured, we don't, have, we don't marry again. We don't marry and we don't have children. Actually, the Lord says we are like the angels. So that's not us. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. if you just want to take the reference down. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So in the when we are resurrected, when we're raptured, we no longer are having children. But the people left on the earth are still having children. And Jesus will come to rule those people. And the Bible says also that you know, as soon as they speak, God's already answering them. Can you imagine that situation? God's answering them while they're speaking. Even before they speak, he says, I'm listening to what they're about to say. And I'm going to answer them. Because he's going to be here, even physically. And it says that death and violence will not exist. That animals will not be eating other animals. So if a wolf, and we often get this one mixed up, I, I always mix it up. I always say the lion and the lamb are going to be lying down together, right? Are going to be sleeping together. And that's true too. But it says here that the, the wolf and the lamb will be feeding together. Imagine that the, the picture of that, that a wolf is eating with a lamb together. And the wolf not eating the lamb. It also suggests here that not only that, that there will be peace and there'll be, there won't be any bad things that, that occur, it suggests also that violence has been eradicated and war dismissed, but there will still be sinners in the world, except they'll be brought to justice fairly quickly. And there will still be nations in the world as well. But this is in the final chapter. This, now at the end of the millennium, the Bible says that while Satan's been bound for 1,000 years and there's peace on the earth, and the Lord is reigning from Jerusalem. You know what happens at the end of a thousand years? He's turned loose again. And he deceives the nations all over again. And then the Bible says that the final judgment that comes down upon all those who rebel against God. And then God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Turn to Revelation chapter 21 as we hit the end of this, uh, this passage now, this particular subject. Remember, we're speaking about the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, and this is the culmination of God's promise. Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation 21. And I saw, this is John the Apostle, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall, be, uh, shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. God makes everything new at this point. You see, during the millennium, he doesn't make everything new. He lifts up part of the curse and he rules righteously from, uh, from uh, Israel, from Jerusalem. But there are still sinners on the earth. There are still people who choose not to go the Lord's way. Okay? There are still even nations who will even rebel against him. It doesn't guarantee that that millennial reign is going to be completely devoid of conflict or sin. But now, the Bible says, God is making all things new. Not only is the old earth and the, and the heavens actually passed away, there's going to be brand new ones that are made. And, and we, the Bible says that everyone who comes through and who is, by the way, at the end of a thousand years, will also be the final judgment. Of mankind that's at the end of a thousand years god will judge all of mankind we don't get judged because we've already we've already been rescued and saved through jesus christ he's he's received our judgment but the bible says that um these things will not be be uh, there there'll be no more tears or crying okay there'll be no more weeping or sorrow as we do here there'll be no more death so in heaven and in this new earth there'll be no more graves There'll be no more funeral services. There'll be no more people crying around a, a, a grave site. Or if you're Italian, in a wall. Okay. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more putting up with pains, troubles, disappointments, trials, problems, loss of friends, property, conflicts, death of loved ones, persecutions, your own failures. No one exists in this new home. We may experience those here, but we can't bring them up. We won't be able to bring them there. The Bible says there'll be no more crying. No more crying. And there'll be no more pain. No more hospitals. No broken bones. No broken homes. No broken hearts. Trials. No tribulations. When we go to glory. Pain will not exist. And I want you to think about this for a moment. You can feel everything. Right? So you can feel when you touch things but can't experience pain. What a world. What a glorious future to look forward to. And God will create it once again in perfect, a perfect Eden. Right? But different this time. Different. Because he's living in the midst of it. Turn to Revelation 22. Just, turn, just forward one chapter. Revelation 22. Because I want you to notice... That when it speaks about the restitution of all things, we're comparing it to Eden, aren't we? When God created the world in, per in perfection, he plants a perfect garden. There is no death in that garden. And he says to Adam and Eve, oh, just tend to the garden and you can enjoy all the fruits thereof, except for uh, that one tree. But now there's a contrast and a comparison between the new creation and the original creation. Look what it says in Revelation 22.1. And it says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of a street of it, 
And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there was no more curse. But so the curse has been lifted completely. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever. Now, that's something I can't even imagine at the moment. Because the only time I know when there's light is when the sun's overhead. Okay, or we, we turn on our lights over here. But can you imagine a world where there is always light, which means there's no need to sleep? For those of you who struggle to sleep at night, who can't get to sleep, who's got a pillow that gives you a sore neck, whose mattress is uncomfortable, you won't need a bedroom anymore. There's going to be light all the time. And the light is actually radiating, radiating straight from the Lord himself, which is, when you think about it, an amazing thing. And in that time, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. The curse will be lifted completely by God. And God will dwell in the midst of his people. And that's a wonderful future to look forward to. There was a, um, a fellow called Mr. Johnson. Um, I think he might have been called Uncle Johnson as well, who died in Michigan at the age of 120 years of age. Okay, 120 years old. It's not a bad uh, life, huh? 120. We're going to get there? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny, when you're, when you're 50 years old, you're already feeling pains and things, and you think, how can I put another 70 years? I can't even reach it now, you know what I mean? Anyway, so the, the, there's a, this fellow, he was, he was loved and respected, okay? And he, he died at, eventually at the age of 120. So one day while he was working in his garden, he was singing songs of praise to God. And his pastor, who was uh, passing by and heard him singing, looked over the fence and said, Mr. Johnson, Uncle Johnson, you seem really happy today. He said, yes, I was just thinking, said the old man. Thinking about what? Questioned his pastor. I was just thinking that if the crumbs of joy that fall from the master's table in this world are so good, what will be the great loaf in glory be like? You know, if the crumbs that we get that come from our, our, our Lord's table are just so sweet. You know that when we get together in church and we worship God and we have that fellowship and, and we sense the presence of God amongst us, that beautiful joy that you experience, those times of joy that come from the Lord, are just a taste of what's to come. So Mr. Johnson was right. Imagine what it'll be like when we don't just get crumbs coming down to us, but we're sitting at a table with a full meal in front of us. You're with the one that you love, who loves you and me. You're with the people that you love. There's no more threats. There's no more fears there are no more dangers there is no more crying there's no more <clears throat> suffering there's no more death and everything will be made new revelation 21 5 says and he sat and he that sat upon the throne said behold i make all things new and he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. That's his promise to you and me. 
and what God promises, he fulfills. The Lord is making all things new. And that has begun, that process has begun with us. You see, if you're saved this morning, you've been made new, a new creature in Christ. He's given you a new nature. And now we have a wonderful home to look forward to, a wonderful future to look forward to. And we are the ambassadors of God in the world. So while we've examined the, the, the promises of eternal life, salvation, the Holy Spirit, the second coming, and now we've explored the new heaven and the new earth, we must understand and remember one thing, that we are not home yet. And so the next scriptures I'll be sharing with you in the coming weeks are the promises of God for those of us who were living in this fallen world, who have been saved, and God says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to love you, protect you, and I'm going to, and God makes a lot of promises to us, we're going to be examining those scriptures and those promises for us who the Bible calls strangers and pilgrims in this world, who are looking forward to that city one day. We will be able to live and be with God forever. But until then, um, remember that we live in a fallen world. And this morning, if you don't know if you're saved or not, if you don't know if you have been redeemed and you have been made a new creature in Christ, don't waste another day. Why would you waste another day living in sin and not knowing where you're going? When God says to you, you can know and you can receive his salvation as a gift and be made new. Let's continue walking, following the Lord and keeping our eyes up. God bless you all. Thank you.